Would you join me in the scriptures in John chapter 8? We tried to sing today the kind of ver- songs that related to the five solas of the Reformation. Um, the word sola is a Latin word which means alone. And some of the things that came out of the Protestant Reformation was this idea that our salvation is by grace through faith alone. And so there were the five solas which really formed the foundation of the teaching of the reformers, things like sola de gloria, right? To God alone be the glory. And so we sang the doxology today. We don't often sing the doxology, but uh, we sang the doxology and we started with to God be the glory, great things he has done. Um, And so we thought about the glory of God, things like sola scriptura, that God's word alone is the authority upon which we build our faith and our life. Sola fide, that it is by faith alone, by grace alone, sola gratia, and then sola Christus, by Christ alone that we are saved. It is through his work upon the cross. And so we thought about those things as we sang today, and we'll build on a little bit as we go into the text today. We're in John chapter 8. We are looking at verses 1 to 12. We began this last week... And we didn't really look at the text. We just looked at the brackets. Remember that? If you look at your Bible, there are brackets here. And a lot of times we get sidetracked with that. We wonder, what does this mean? What's this deal with the manuscripts? Are these verses supposed to be in the Scripture? And all those different things. And so last week we talked about the canonicity issue with this passage. And we're not going to do that again today because that was my whole sermon last week. And so we're going to move along. If you weren't here last week and you want to know more about that issue, you can go online, listen to what we said last week to think about the concepts related to the preaching of this text. Let's just study it today. Let's look at it and then we'll pray. After the interactions in chapter 7 where Jesus is teaching the people during the Feast of Booths, in verse 53 it says, they each went to his own house. Jesus, having no house, went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, notice the word early, that's what it means, early Kind of the concept in the Greek there is the breaking of the dawn. First thing in the morning, early in the morning, he comes into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down as a Jewish rabbi always did when he taught, and he taught them. And as he is teaching, you can imagine the situation. All of a sudden, the scribes and the Pharisees come dragging in before him and the people who were gathered listening to him teach a woman. Maybe she's disheveled. Maybe her clothing is torn. Maybe there's been a ruckus. Who knows what's going on here? Who knows what she looks like? We don't get into that. And that's not in the text. But they bring her in. And before the people and Jesus who is seated teaching them, they make an accusation. So the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. They place her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, 
This woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Talked about a little bit last week. Obviously, there's a major omission here. The guys didn't bring the guy, right? Takes two to tango. Yet the guy is absent. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. He also commanded to stone such men. That's neither here nor there. So what do you say? Now, John then gives us by the Holy Spirit an insight into what's really happening behind the scenes. This they were saying to him to test him. So they might have some charge to bring against him. Remember we saw that in chapter 7? The chief priests, the Pharisees, the rulers of the day are upset at Jesus because of the things that he has been doing, the things that he has been teaching. They have already sent the officers of the temple guard one time to arrest him, and yet those, those arresting officers came back, and they said, why didn't you bring Jesus? And the arresting officer said what? Because no one ever spoke like this man, and they left him alone. And so these men are looking for a charge that will stick. Now, we will see this in the Passion Week as well, because they do it often in the Passion Week. But they're looking for a way to stick a charge on Jesus. They are trying to catch him and make him stumble. That is the motive. Jesus stoops down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, you can imagine them pestering him. Just imagine with me the scene. Jesus is stooped on the ground. He's, he's maybe doodling. We'll talk about what he's writing, but he's stooped down. And these guys are just continuing to talk. So then Jesus gets up. And what does Jesus do when he gets back up? He just says to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then once more, he just bent back down and he began to doodle on the ground. And everything is quiet. And all the people are watching. What's going to happen? Once they heard that, one by one, they trickled away, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Imagine the scene. The older began to trickle out first, and then the younger. Finally, it's Jesus and the woman. Jesus stands back up. He says to the woman, woman. And notice the word woman. This is used in 
the Gospels and other accounts. Jesus referred to his mother that way, remember, in John chapter 2? He said, woman, what do I have to do with you? Mine hour has not yet come. He was not being snarky. He was not being rude. He was using the common form of communication of a man with a woman in the day. It was actually a term of a way to, to speak to someone in dignity, like we would say, Mrs. And so in a dignified way, he says to a woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, now here's a promise and a statement that she could remember forever. Right? Because just like Satan likes to shit on your shoulder and remind you of your sin, for the rest of her life, she could look back at this event and she could remember the words of her Savior when her Savior said to her, I do not condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. The word is not, I accuse you. It is to condemn. That is a specific word that doesn't just speak of earthly punishment. It is a word that speaks of eternal punishment. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it tells us who are in Christ. What? This tremendous promise. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So in a very real way, Jesus has looked at each one of us and said to us who know him, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. But then he said what? Go and leave your life of sin. Now let's pray. Lord, bless us in your word for these few moments. Lord, I pray that this would be a time when that roaring lion, Satan, who walks about like a prowling lion seeking to devour people, that, Father, we would see him with a muzzle on, that we would see that his power has been broken that us, us individuals who are guilty sinners, have had you declare of us not guilty. Not by any works that we have done, we are guilty. But because of the great work that you have done. Our Lord has helped us to rejoice in that today. The grace that is ours. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Reformation Sunday. I already mentioned that. Look, the main point of this text is nothing to do with the people who were all there. It's Jesus and the woman. In Job chapter 25, one of Job's three friends asks a very interesting question that is right at the heart of what we're talking about today. How can a person, how can I, how can, let me put my name there, how can Tim Moyer, 
put your name there. Be declared not guilty before God. How can one that is born of a woman be pure? Even if the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm? That's the issue we're talking about. That's the issue of the Reformation, by the way. Justification. How can you and I, who are guilty sinners, as was this woman, be declared not guilty by a holy God? Men are the sideshow here. Please note that. Everything that is happening in this story, the men are the sideshow. This whole thing that we read today is about the story of a guilty sinner. Was the woman guilty? She was caught in the act. This whole story is about a guilty sinner standing before a righteous God all alone. Everybody else has left. That's how you're going to stand there. You know, your mom and dad aren't going to be standing up for you. Neither is your preacher. It's you and God. It was Jesus Christ and a guilty woman all alone. The whole story is about that. Men with a sideshow. Now, these guys were bums, right? Like a lot of guys. They were bums. This wasn't about justice. It's about tripping up Jesus. I, do you remember in the book of Second Samuel, there's a really intriguing interaction in chapter 24 where David sins by counting in a census all the men who could fight in the armies of Israel. Now, it wasn't such the great sin to count the men. That's not the issue. The issue was the motive behind why David did it. He didn't want to just take careful stock of how many men were in the army and how many men were available to fight. The reason he was doing it, because he was putting his trust in his own capability. You know, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we are to trust in the who? The name of the Lord our God. In that, God sends a prophet named Gad to David and confronts him. And Gad says, because you have done this, God is going to chasten Israel. And then he does it. Can you imagine having this? He says, I'm going to give you three options. First option is, you can flee before your enemies for three months. The other one is similar to that, second one, where he would be at the mercy of other men. And the third one is, I'll send a plague for three days. You get to choose. How are you going to choose? Oh, my goodness. 
Can you imagine being put in that situation? Israel, the nation, is going to pay a heavy price for David's sin. That's stunning to think of that. David says these words. David answered Gad, I am in great anxiety. Please let us fall into the Lord's hands because his mercy is great. But don't let me fall into human hands. Tells us something about the heart of God, doesn't it? Men are the sideshow here. Now, there are a lot of bunny trails we could go down. You know what a bunny trail is. A lot of bunny trails we could go down. As we look at this text, we could talk about sexual ethics. Sexual ethics, that's a big deal in our world today. We could talk about that today, but we're not going to. In one sense, let's just say the sin here is irrelevant because she is guilty. It is important what happened. And we're never going to justify what she did. It was heinous. We talked about that some last week. But we're not going to just sidetrack on what the actual sin here. Because you may say, well, I've never committed that sin. Well, I guarantee there's one in the list you have, (laughs) right? We all have. So we're not going to sidetrack and just talk about the actual sin. There are justice issues that come up here. You know, there's things that we could wrestle with in the text that we're not going to really wrestle with today, but I will mention. Uh, One is forgiveness and deterrence. Uh, We could wrestle with that. We could think about what does this mean um, um, in, in relationship to forgiveness and how there is deterrence for crime by capital punishment. We could think about crime and punishment. We could think about stoning. You know, when you hear today that some woman in Pakistan got stoned for adultery, we all cringe, don't we? It's a gruesome death. Not a pretty thing. We could talk about stoning, why it was done, how God prescribed it, the way it was practiced, and all those things, but we're not going to go down that road today either because I only got so much time, and there's some things that I want to really hit that are important. By the way, I got to read, I, I did put this in my bulletin at some point. I don't remember where it is. But do, when I say the acronym CCP, do you know who that is? Chinese Communist Party. In China, in high school textbooks, there is actually a Chinese translation of this story that is reproduced for high school kids in China. And they put it in there for a specific reason, but they pervert and distort the text unbelievably. And this is just, this is, I told you I wouldn't go down any bunny trails, but I am. So forgive me for it. I got to read you how they end. I found this this week. And I'm not going to preach on it, but nevertheless, it's intriguing. This is the way they end the story. The crowd wanted to stone the woman to death as per their law. But Jesus said, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Hearing this, they slipped away one by one. Now, this is where the story gets interesting. When the crowd disappeared... 
Jesus stoned the sinner to death. He said, I too am a sinner. But if the law could only be executed by men without blemish, the law would be dead. Isn't that intriguing? That's what they teach high school students in China. They do it for a specific reason. The reason they do it is because they want, uh, they, they want to try to not only pervert the gospel and destroy the Bible, that's a big part of their agenda, but the other part of that is they want the people of China to recognize that imperfect men who are also guilty leaders in China execute their law and carry it out on the populace. And so they're just kind of laying that as a foundation. That's really the purpose of it. Anyway, that's a, that's a big bunny trail. Uh, we got to move on. We can talk about the death penalty today. Uh, we're not going to do that one. We could talk about judges, jury, and executioner. We could talk about qualification. Is Jesus saying here that if you're going to serve on a jury or you're going to be a judge or you're going to be an executioner, that you have to be perfect? Let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. If that's the case, how can we have a judicial system? You know, so what is Jesus getting at? Now, these are all important justice issues that we could wrestle with, and we could really take a lot of time with today, but we're going to move on to get to the main point. Let's look at the flow of the story. It's interesting to note, we read the story, there's some real important things. It tells us here that Jesus wrote this is the only place in the Bible it tells us Jesus wrote anything. It's the only time in all of Scripture it says Jesus wrote something. And it does not tell us at all. It doesn't give us even a hint of what it was he wrote. It wasn't even on a manuscript that they could keep. Where did he write it? In the dirt. Now, I would suggest to you that whatever he wrote... Whatever it was he wrote, it was not a complex communication. It couldn't have been, right? Have you ever tried to write in the dirt English? Try to write Hebrew in the dirt. Try to write Aramaic in the dirt or Greek. All three of those languages are heavily dependent on minutiae, breathing marks, and other things to differentiate words. So whatever Jesus wrote here, he was not writing some complex communication that everybody was trying to read what he was writing. It's not that kind of writing. Who knows what he wrote? If it was important to know what Jesus wrote there, it would be in the text, right? If it really was important to the flow of the story to know what it was that Jesus wrote, the Holy Spirit would have told us. The Holy Spirit did not tell us, so that would tell us that whatever it was that Jesus was doing when he was stooped down and he's writing in the dirt, that what he did there was not important. What was important was that Jesus stooped down and kind of ignored them and was doodling on the ground. And then he gets up and he says to them, let he who is without sin be the first to cast the stone. And then he just goes back down and he begins to do it again until they all leave. That's what's important in the story. 
That is the main thing that we want to grab onto as we look at that. Now, think with me of the actors real quick. There's Jesus. There's all the people. We don't know how many people have come to hear him, but people came very early in the morning to hear him. There's the Pharisees and the scribes, and then there's a woman. These are the important players in the story. These are the actors. There's a motive. Did they want justice? No. They do this to test Jesus. Look, let's think about justice for a minute. There's a verse I love that's in the book of Micah. It says this. Do justice, but love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Boy, if we did those three things, it would set a lot of things right in this world. Generally, I'm saying this generally, generally we love justice when someone else gets it. And we love mercy when we get it. Right? Do we love mercy for the guilty? That's what Jesus is getting at here. Isn't a pretty story? There is some guy who has sinned with a woman. In the breaking of a solemn vow before God. And it's ugly. And it's hurt. And there is maybe a guy who is clamoring, we don't know, that she be stoned. I wonder if he was happy when she got mercy. We don't know. Do justice, but love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. So the motive is to test, to try. What they are seeking to do is to put a dilemma in front of Jesus that will cause him to stumble. Like I said, the the Pharisees did this often in the ministry of Jesus. They did it on the issue of taxes. Remember that one? We'll get to that later in the Gospels as we move through. No, we won't because it's not in the book of John, but nevertheless, they do it. You know, we're told in the scripture, remember Jesus quoted this to Satan? You shall not tempt the Lord your God. I'm going to tell you this. Anytime we try to tempt God, we are not going to be the winner in that deal. They try to tempt God, and they come off looking pretty silly. The dilemma is they are trying to pit the Jewish law against the Roman law. The Jewish law says what? Stone her. Deuteronomy 22, it's in the book of Exodus, it's in the book of Leviticus, and it's in the book of Numbers. 
All the books of the Torah prescribe the same punishment for this capital offense. Not, as I said earlier, not only for her, but also for him. That is the Jewish law. The Roman law says what? You Jews can, uh, you know, take care of any crimes that are done except for capital offenses. So why did the Jewish Sanhedrin have to go to Pilate for Jesus to be crucified? Because they had no legal standing to carry out an execution. If an execution happened, it would be what? Merely mob violence. Now, did that ever happen? Yeah, go to Acts chapter 7. Who was the guy that got stoned? Stephen. Now, Roman law did not say stone him or crucify him. No, it was mob violence that took him down. So if Jesus would have gone along with them, he would have really been promoting vigilante justice and mob violence. And so they're trying to create a dilemma that he cannot get out. They're also trying to destroy his credibility with the people. The people love him. The people are listening to him. And they want Jesus to bumble up and to make a mistake so that his credibility is destroyed. That is the dilemma that Jesus is facing. Okay, we got to move. Instruction on two basic issues in this text. Number one, it's this. How should we treat others when they are caught in sin? Now, we already talked about that. Do justice, but love mercy. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says what? You who are spiritual, when someone else falls into sin, what are you to do? Get online and tear them up on Facebook? No. What? what? Restore them. In a spirit of humbleness and meekness, considering yourself, lest you also sin. That's the attitude of the believer. How should we treat others when they are caught in sin? These guys obviously are not looking for this woman to be reconciled. The other one is this, how God treats the sinner or me. Put my name there when I get caught in sin. Okay, those are the two issues that we are really being instructed here in regards to. How should we treat others, and then how God treats the sinner? Those play heavily into this. Now, the first one is important, and we could think of all those issues with justice. Because like I said last week, what a lot of us would do is this. This would be our answer. I'm really sorry you did that, lady. And I want you to know, I forgive you. But as we bash your head in with rocks, please know you are forgiven. Jesus lifted the penalty. Now, we could really, uh, uh, that's not an easy one to answer. That's not an easy one to wrestle with. But this all does relate to justice and mercy and the Christian and the church. Here's the key component. And this is what I want to hammer into for just a couple minutes and then we're going to close. So if you've been sleeping to this point, come back to me now for just a couple minutes. 
Because if you go out of here and you don't get this part, then everything else we said, although it laid a foundation, you'll miss the big deal. Okay? This is what I want to get home to you. So if you take anything home, this is where we're going for just the next couple of minutes, so give me a couple. The fact that no man accused or witnessed against her and then condemned her removed all possibility of earthly punishment for her crime according to the law of Moses. The law of Moses prescribes that for there to be an execution in Israel, it could never happen based on the testimony of one person. The law of Moses reiterates time and time again, it was better in Israel for the guilty to go free than for there to be an unjust execution. The safeguard was if someone was to be executed, there had to be two or three witnesses. There are no witnesses. Nobody accuses her. That's why Jesus asked the question, right? Where are your accusers? No one. So the fact that no man accused or witnessed and condemned the woman, that removes forever against this woman any possibility that earthly punishment could come her way according to the law of Moses. So now, if the Pharisees and scribes go and kill her, they are acting how? As vigilantes, and they are guilty of breaking the law. So what Jesus has done has safeguarded this woman. That is very important to note. She could never be justly stoned. No one testifies against her. I'll just say this, man, Jesus was skillful at getting charges dropped. If I ever need an attorney, which I do, I want Jesus. Amen? That's why it's wonderful that we have an advocate in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. God says this, I'm writing these things to you so that no one will sin. But if any man sin, what does he say? We have a defense attorney. His name is Jesus. And he has satisfied our sin. Man, I'll tell you what, I don't want Jesus arguing my case. Okay, that's what we see here. Jesus has, I mean, with such skill, caused all charges to be dropped. Now, that's an important component. Please get it. But here's the big deal. Stay with me. This is what's really important. The fact that all earthly charges were dropped did nothing to deal with her guilt before God. Nothing. Nothing. Listen, there are worse things than getting stoned. Jesus said, do not fear the man who can take your life. And after he has done that, has no more power. But fear him who, after taking your life, can cast you into hell. Listen, if, if, you, if we just revel in the grace that has showed her that she got off, 
and we don't think any bigger and deeper than that, we miss the whole point. The fact that earthly charges were dropped didn't do diddly squat for her when it came to eternity. Here she is standing before the God of the ages who knows everything about her. He does not ask her if she did it, does he? He doesn't even go there. He presumes it. He knows. Now, why is this important? The reason this is important, we're going to think about the Reformation Sunday for just a minute when we think about justification, but here's where I want to go for a minute. I'm dating myself. But remember O.J. Simpson? Some of you guys are like, who's O.J. Simpson? That's you young whippersnappers. Remember him when he used to run through airports jumping with luggage, TV commercials? Look, whether he did it or not, the fact that he got off did nothing for him when he stands before God. Right? Or how many people, how many of all of us have sinned? And we've never been accused of anything in this life. But God knows. There are worse things than stoning. Here's the flow. There's a question by Jesus. Then there is an affirmation by the woman. No one, Lord. But think with me here. This woman has never, did this woman ask Jesus to forgive her? Is the woman sorry? It doesn't even tell us. Is she defiant? I don't know. Doesn't tell us. No one, Lord. There's no faith. There's no repentance. Nothing. Jesus then gives her a promise. Neither do I condemn you. And then what does he say? Notice your text. Neither do I condemn you. Go. That's a command. And from now on, leave your life of sin. Now, why is that important? Here's why it's important. The command of Jesus. John chapter 5. Jesus commanded a man who could not walk. Get up. Take your bed, walk. Was Jesus saying, if you want to do this? No, Jesus gave an effectual command. It was the command of power. Get up, walk. And he did it. Why did he do it? Because Jesus commanded it. This in the scripture is the moment of regeneration for this woman. When all of a sudden a dead sinner standing before a holy God gets a new life. And she is born again. And it is by the command of Jesus. Go. 
leave your life of sin. In that command, we see unconditional grace, we see unmerited favor, and we see her obey him and believe. It was St. Augustine who said, command what you will and will what you command. Now, this is where we want to close. Jesus forgives the woman. He does not do it because she asked. He does not do it because she felt sorry for her sin. Jesus forgives the woman not because he felt sorry for the woman. Jesus forgives the woman because Jesus knew. He knew something the woman didn't know. In six months, Jesus was going to hang on a cross and he was going to carry that woman's sin to hell so that she could be declared not guilty. The reason Jesus forgave the woman was because Jesus was about to die for her. She deserved to be stoned. But she got grace. My friend, you and I deserve hell. But he who knew no sin bore our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what this whole story is about. A guilty sinner standing before a holy God without one plea. But that, your blood, was shed for me. And as thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. And so he says, go. And a dead sinner came to life. Let's pray. Lord, we are guilty, every one of us. Every one of us. And we deserve your wrath. And yet you promise us in your word there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And what we could not have even dreamed for is that when we would stand before you, a holy God, that Jesus would come to our defense and say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Thank you for your promise. I pray that if someone's here today has never understood that amazing grace before, that even as we close in the song, that you would rend their heart, that the heavens would come down and impart to them new life, that they would stand before you and do business with you as we sing. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.